Shalom, Shalom. Carolyn, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. How are you doing, Avi? Thank God, home, healthy with the family in this crazy, crazy world. Indeed. I guess I should say everything is great except for everything that isn't great. How does that go? <laughs> good line. Good line. I'll take it. Okay. So listen, we don't we don't have much time, but we do have some important topics to talk about. Why don't we st start with uh, the death, the passing of this unbelievable giant of a human being who was really very much uh, um, uh, modest in his ways, Sheldon Adelson, who you happen to know personally. So what, what can you tell us? Sheldon Adelson, who died at the age of 87 after a very prolonged uh, battle and really has a heroic battle with cancer that lasted, I think, over two decades, um, was um, he was the owner of the paper that I write for, Israel Hayom, and also for Macquarie Shon, uh, the a paper that I once wrote for uh, here in Israel. And um, he was, in many ways, uh, I think our editor this morning, Boaz Bismut, eulogized him in the paper as uh, the modern day uh, Moses Montefiore um, and uh, oh. Baron Child. He was an extraordinary Jewish philanthropist. Um, he contributed to just about every facet of Jewish life in Israel and in the diaspora. He understood that Israel is the center of the Jewish world today and did everything in his power to bring American Jews uh, to recognize this and to increase their understanding of and familiarity with Israel. I think um, uh, Ambassador uh, Dvore Dar in, uh, in Italy uh, eulogized him yesterday and he mentioned, and I thought it was really important, that uh, because of uh, uh, Sheldon Adelson's uh, contributions, his underwriting of the birthright program, which brings young American Jews to Israel. Some 100,000 American Jews visited Israel over the past several years, most of whom probably would never have made it here on their own. So, I mean, just if that were the only thing that he did, it would have made him a philanthropic giant in the Jewish world. But of course, it wasn't the only thing that he did. He was spearheading the fight against the boycott, the anti-Semitic boycott uh, uh, campaign against Israel and primarily in the United States against American Jews uh, on campuses. Uh, I think he called it the Maccabean uh, Task Force. And he worked assiduously really in all areas to try to protect American Jews from anti-Semitism, from anti-Semitism, its most common uh, current manifestation, which is anti-Zionism. Uh, he had a very close relationship with uh, President Trump, and he used this always in order to help American Jews and help Israel. He really played a huge role in convincing the president not only to fulfill his campaign pledge to recognize that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, but also to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and implement that recognition in a, in a significant way. Um, he, he was really uh, involved in just about all of the administration's policies regarding Israel in the Middle East, whether it's the deal of the century, where which involved America's uh, recognition for the first time that Israel has sovereign rights in Judea and Samaria, and that its settlements are not at all illegal. In fact, they're legal as uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo set out in the Pompeo Doctrine in late uh, 2018 or 19, I can't remember anymore, 19, in November 19, 
Um, he he was but he was behind and involved in so many different things regarding American U.S. relations, American U.S. Uh, business relations, American U.S. strategic relations, and nobody ever really knew about this. He wasn't like one of these, uh, you know, uh, Jewish leaders who wants everybody to know what a macher he is. Sheldon Adelson never never did. He was a big supporter of uh, of APEC for a very long time and was bringing and brought Republican lawmakers in particular to Israel. I know that when APAC started going to the left uh, and uh, not bringing, you know, right-wing speakers to meet with uh, congressional legis uh, uh, legations that came here, uh, the first time that I met uh, Sheldon Adelson was in 2007 when he led a, a delegation of Republican lawmakers to Israel um, and he ensured that I would speak, uh, even if it was after hours, to ensure that they heard me. Um, he, he really was something, he didn't care what anybody said. He knew it was important to support Israel. He knew that Israel is the center of the Jewish world, and he knew that it was important for the United States to support Israel, not only from a Jewish perspective, but from an American perspective. He recognized that Israel is America's most powerful and solid ally in the in the in the Middle East, and he worked tirelessly to ensure that Americans understood that as well, and uh, and acted on that. And I think a testament to his leadership is is really um, the the expansion of understanding, particularly among Republicans, of just how vital a strategic ally Israel is to the United States. For you know, and uh, and what a guarantor it is of America's security interests in the Middle East. That a strong, the stronger Israel is, the more secure America is. I think all of these things, his humanitarian work, he and his wife, Dr. Miriam Adelson, have done an enormous amount of philanthropy as well in, in Israeli uh, hospitals and public health, in in uh, combating drug addiction and other issues, and in and in funding medical research, cutting edge research uh, that has really made Israel a leader in a lot of areas of uh, medicine globally. You know, these are all things that people don't even know about and so many different facets to his giving so many different facets of his of his activities um he really i i don't think we've seen anything like him anyone like him uh in our lifetimes and uh he'll be sorely missed but you know thankfully he has he had his partner in everything that he's done which is uh his wife miriam and she's thank god still very much with us and she should be healthy uh, and active for many, many years to come. And uh, they did this together all of these years. And so, you know, Sheldon was the leader. He was the face of so much that they did, their partners. And um, I think that he's also inspired a lot of other um, philanthropists in the world to join him in a lot of these efforts. He's challenged a lot of American Jewish philanthropists to be more pro-Israel than they might want to be. Uh, in light of the social circles that they they travel in, um, and so I think his legacy is one of, you know, pure support for Jewish values, Jewish rights, Jewish security in the United States, in Israel, and around the world. And I think that a testament to just how fantastic a person he is, and what a massive amount of good he's done, are the people who are celebrating his his passing. I mean, some of the most radical anti-Semitic 
Jews uh, in in America have been uh, have been um, celebrating his passing. And I think, you know, if a man is known by the company he's ke he keeps, he's also known by the enemies that he has. And I think that having a Jewish Voice for Peace, which is a, the Jewish fig leaf for the anti-Semitic BDS campaigns in the United States and the demonization of Israel and Israeli Jews, or um, uh, if not now, which is a sister organization to Jewish Voice for Peace, uh, celebrating his passing, then that means that he's done only good for the Jewish people. They should be ashamed of themselves over the way that they've been behaving since the world got out of his of his passing. Uh, but then again, what can we expect from these uh, Jewish anti-Semitic organizations other than this sort of contemptuous and execrable behavior? So I yeah, you know, just just to put it into context, I'll actually I have it right in front of me. This if not now uh, tweet uh, that got a lot of uh, a lot of retweets and likes by all the all the other Jew haters out there. Adelson dedicated his life and wealth to empowering the far right in the United States and Israel. But our collective work, referring to their anti-Israel work, the work of building solidarity, of fighting for freedom and dignity for all can undo that harm. Yamach Shemo, that's basically a curse in, in Jewish speak, in, in, in Hebrew, that we use for the worst of our enemies, for the, for the worst of the, the murderers that, that, and torturers in our history. May his legacy be erased and may we do it together. They, they, these same people say Kaddish, say, say the mourner's prayer for terrorists, and yet for one of the major Jews of our generation, even if you disagree with his politics, they use the language used for the worst of our enemies. The cognitive dissonance and the Jew hatred that, that spews out of that is, is, just, is just disgusting. Um, two other things that I wanted to bring up, uh, that one I, I learned about, Miriam, his wife, in, in the notice that she put out upon his passing, wrote that uh, in all these months that their hotels have been closed, they have still been funding the salaries and health insurance for all of their employees, whether it's thousands or tens of thousands of employees. That's an unbelievable thing that I don't think how many, don't know how many business owners do that. And the other thing I, I heard from the, the Las Vegas uh, community, they were huge supporters of every single Jewish organization associated with the Las Vegas community, which also is a testament to where that, how they use their, their money for American Jewry, their own community. Do you have any personal memories, thoughts, interactions you'd like to share with us about Sheldon? Oh, it wasn't that I knew him intimately. Um, I, knew, I knew him, I met him several times over the years. He was extremely supportive of me and of my work. Um, and um, I told him in one of our final conversations that, uh, you know, I, I believe that he's the most important Jew alive, that uh, our people need him, and I wished him the best of health, and I meant it. And I said it to him uh, more than once over the years because I believe it. I think we've, he, we have lost a giant, and I think it, it all the Jewish people should mourn his loss because he truly was a great, a great man. He was a great American. He did a lot of wonderful things for the United States, uh, but he was also, and I think primarily a Jew. And he was one of these people who understood that when he acts, he does it as a Jew. And he's a good American because he's a good Jew. And I, I just, you know, uh, we were so blessed to have him. 
the world was so blessed to have him. We're so blessed with his legacy. It's one of pure good. And, you know, we should be worthy of him. I mean, that, you know, to me is, is, is one of the things that we should strive to be. We should learn from what he did. We should explore all the wonderful things that he's done uh, with, with the money uh, that he's made, including caring for his employees, as you mentioned, and being an extraordinary mensch in the way that he treats the people who work for him. Um, and we should, we should learn from that and we should try to, we should aspire to be like him, both in his, in his goodness, in his largeness of heart and in his modesty. I think all of these things are attributes of great Jewish leaders They were the attributes of a leader like Moses. Um, and, uh, and I think that they, they are also the attributes of a great man. And so, yeah, we should be lucky enough to follow in his footsteps. Amen. Amen. And going from talking about uh, the passing of Shadow Adelson, again, we, broke, we brought up some of the horrendous Jewish organizations that I call anti-Jew anti hating organizations, even though they call them Jewish. Here we go to a list of other Jewish organizations, J Street, New Israel Front, Americans for Peace Now, Habonim Dror, Trua, and, a list, and, and others that are... are uh, publicly coming out uh lobbying for different for against the implementation of the anti the the in, international accepted IHRA definition of anti-semitism because it includes uh being anti-israel and so here we go here we go with a potential Biden administration what do you have to say about this and how what, what this says about the income the Jewish community with a potential incoming Biden administration? Well, first of all, I think it's very important to note that to the extent that these positions uh, resonate, the positions of the Jewish community in the United States, and I know that the vast majority of American Jews support Biden, um, but uh, to the extent that the positions that are being put forward by by these progressive Jewish organizations uh, have resonance in the community. These are suicidal. This is a suicidal position, and a co community that supports his position is a community that is is simply hell bent on ceasing to exist in short order. You cannot uh, maintain the Jewish community in any in any significant way if you believe that the fight against anti-Semitism is something that should be ended. Particularly when you're talking about the forms of anti-Semitism that are becoming the most significant forms of Jew hatred in the United States and in the Western world today. And um, here, I think it's important to explain what, what exactly we're talking about. Um, I think around 2009, a consortium from 34 different uh, countries of Holocaust scholars uh, convened um, as the, and they called themselves, the, and, they, and they've uh, associated together as the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance. Um, and they were basically about studying the Holocaust, studying anti-Semitism that's behind the Holocaust and fighting it. In 2016, the IHRA uh, uh, convened and they uh, concluded a new definition of anti-Semitism that included uh, contemporary forms of anti-Semitism, which as we know over the past couple of decades have included calls for the annihilation of Israel, uh, delegitimizing of Israel's right to exist, calls for boycotts of Israeli, uh, of Israel, of Israel, of Israeli businesses, of Israelis, 
and of American firms like Caterpillar, for instance, that do business with Israel or with the Israeli military. So that this is really sort of a Western re-implementation of the Arab boycott, which if, if, if you and our viewers remember, there was always an Arab boycott of Israel right. back, back to the 1920s. But after the Yom Kippur War, the Arab League, and that boycott was, you know, we're not going to buy, we're going to do any business with Israelis. We're not going to do it, you know, we're not going to do any business uh, with Israel, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a direct boycott of Israel. But then after the Yom Kippur War in 1973, the Arab League passed a new boycott decision. And the new boycott decision included not only the direct boycott of Israel and Israeli businesses, it included secondary and tertiary boycotts. So the secondary boycott was that we will boycott any firm that does business with Israel, and we will blacklist any firm that does business with businesses that do business with Israel. So for instance, until the 1990s, Subaru was the only Japanese car maker that exported uh, that exported its, its vehicles to Israel. Um, Pepsi-Cola, uh, McDonald's, uh, uh, and all of their and all of their uh, uh, you know uh, uh, companies underneath subsidiaries. The, the subsidiaries. I was what I was looking for. All of them boycotted Israel and so on and so forth. So you had a lot of uh, companies that wouldn't do any business with with Israel as a result of this. And here, what we're seeing with the BDS movement is sort of a reenaction of that. So it's not just that they don't want to have anything to do with Israel. Or it initially was, oh, we don't want to have anything to do with Israeli communities beyond the 1949 armistice lines. Then it was expanded to any Israeli entity that has businesses in in, in Judea and Samaria and Unified Jerusalem, which of course is every Israeli company because we're one community. And then it became anybody who supports Israel uh, in our country, whether it's in, in a European country or in, or in the United States uh, or in Canada or what have you, so that this is already, you know, a second secondary boycott. And then, then you have, you know, the boycotts of, of Jewish groups on campuses uh, by other groups so that they won't even allow them to be part of uh, networks or joint actions that may have absolutely nothing to do with Israel if they also support Israel. So this is the kind of thing that we are seeing now uh, undertaken. So what what the International Holocaust Remembrance Association or Alliance did in 2016 with their new definition of anti-Semitism is that they included inside of the definition examples of contemporary anti-Semitism and its manifestations, and they were an integral part of the general uh, definition which um uh we can we can quote um which uh let me i'll see if i can find it while we're talking but um the uh the idea was that these you, you these, I, I got it you want me to say it uh, An yeah. anti-semitism is a certain perception of jews which may be expressed as hatred towards jews rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-semitism are directed towards jewish or non-jewish individuals and or their property toward jewish community institutions and religious facilities the progressive organizations oppose the contemporary examples of anti-semitism like claiming the existence of the state of israel is a racist endeavor Right. So, so what? So, among the among the examples of contemporary anti-Semitism, they included uh, allegations that Israel is a is is an illegitimate state that it has no right to exist that it's an apartheid state, uh, calls to uh, boycott, divest, 
uh, and sanction Israel. All of these are, are examples of contemporary anti-Semitism. So, and they're necessary in si and, and what we saw with, with the Trump administration over the past year, and also what we saw earlier with European uh, governments is that they adopted uh, the IRA definition of anti-Semitism and gave it the force of law so that the, the US uh, Justice Department Civil Rights Division is responsible for protecting against anti-Semitic uh, um, harassment and, and acts uh, against American Jews. And uh, since uh, December 2019, uh, um, they, are, uh, they are to use the the IRA definition for determining anti-Semitism in the United States. The same is true with the executive order that called for uh, civil rights protections under the Civil Rights Act. Basically what the Trump administration did is it gave, it, it gave teeth to the definition. It's not just, oh yeah, I agree with IRA or I don't. It's you, you are compelled to comply with it so that if you enable uh, uh, students on a campus, or you give legitimacy to students on on, a, on your university campus to demonize Israel and and harass Jewish uh, students who support Israel, then you are uh, cultivating a hostile environment against Jews on your campus, and you can be subjected to federal penalties, including um, ending uh, federal funding for your university. So these are the same penalties that exist for uh, to be used for against institutions in the United States that engage in in racial bigotry um, and other bigotry. So that this was really important. And of course, when we look at you know people like uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar who belittles the Holocaust and who constantly uses anti-Semitism as a means to demonize American Jews when she says it's all about the Benjamins and things like that. So that the IRA definition, by the IRA definition, she can't get out of the fact that she's actually an anti-Semite and that she should be forced to be censured. They should, she should be publicly censured for it. So a lot of the people on the left, Jeremy Corbyn, for instance, was totally opposed to the IRA definition of anti-Semitism because they engage in it, because they are anti-Semites and they want to be able to continue to support terrorists and demonize, excuse me a second, and demonize the Jewish state and deny it the right to exist. So that from their perspective, uh, the IRA definition constrains their anti-Semitic activities, which is precisely what it was geared towards doing when it was, when it was adopted. And so this is what we're seeing now as well uh, from American Jewish organizations. So American Jewish organizations that are supposed to be interested in fighting anti-Semitism in the United States are actively engaging in whitewashing it. When they say that it impedes freedom of speech to say that Israel doesn't have a right to exist or that Israel is an apartheid state, um, then what they're really saying is we object to Israel's right to exist and we think that sh people should be allowed to demonize and delegitimize uh, Israel's right to sovereignty as a Jewish state in the land of Israel. And so this is something um, that we were leading up to for many years, but now at the outset of the Biden administration, we're really seeing this. And we saw it also as well um, this week, the JCRC, the Jewish Community Relations Council in Boston sent a letter to uh, ZOA president and to the ZOA, ZOA president Mort Klein and to the ZOA itself uh, calling for them to come to a hearing 
uh, ahead of being expelled from the JCRC in Metropolitan Boston? And why are they being, uh, why, why is the JCRC in Boston considering uh, expelling the ZOA from, uh, from its membership? The ZOA, after all, is the most outspoken pro-Israel organization and the longest standing finest right. organization in the United States. Um, why, why would they be saying that they want to expel an organization that was founded by Louis Brandeis uh, in the 1920s? And the answer is because over the summer during the riots uh, in the United States, the violent riots in the United States that were, that were organized by Black Lives Matter, uh, Mort Klein uh, decried BLM as an anti-Semitic organization, which in fact it is. Um, and so they say that anybody who castigates BLM as an, as an anti-Semitic organization, even though it is actively engaging in anti-Semitic violence uh, and harassment of American Jews, that they are racist. And so you have J Street, the New Israel Fund, and other organizations that filed a complaint uh, uh, calling for the expulsion of of the ZOA, not only, uh, f first of all, and foremost, from the council presidents of major Jewish American organizations, and secondly, from the JCRC in Boston. So their move there was blocked and uh, rejected by the council by the conference of presidents. But the JCRC in Boston has long been one of the most radical JCRCs in the United States, and they're taking this up. And it's possible um, that they will, in fact, do it. And this is part and parcel of a larger thing that I think it's important to note. Um, the JCRC sent out uh, a notice to its members a couple of days ago after the riot on Capitol Hill on January 6th. Uh, and uh, they said, we're trying to decide whether we should put out a, an official statement calling for Trump to be impeached or to be taken out of office under the 25th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Um, and then they give this list of pros and cons. And uh, among the pros, it said, this is the worst, most terrible, most evil administration in American history, and it must be quickly expunged. In so many words, I'm, I'm this right. is a few quote. And, um, and you know, um, uh, this is obscene, right? Because uh, um, why would you even, first of all, why would you say that it's not true? Second of all, you know, I know that American Jews really don't like the Trump administration, but the Trump administration has quite simply and arguably been the most pro-Israel administration in U.S. history. And, um, and it should get some credit from American Jews for that. It should get some recognition from American Jews, even on the left, for their extraordinary support and friendship towards uh, the people of Israel and the state of Israel, um, and 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 even if you if you hate Trump, you know just a modicum of decency towards your Israeli uh, brothers and sisters, you know your fellow Jews who support him because he's been so wonderful to their country, would have it seems to me under normal circumstances have uh, have counseled for you know, more guarded language, but it's this unbridled, really demonic hatred of Trump uh, and his and his supporters that have led uh, that, that you know, uh, in some cases inform this kind of deranged statement against, uh, against him and against his supporters. So, 
you know, and again, uh, to try to erase, to cancel the ZOA, which was, you know, because of their incredible support for Israel uh, and the centrality of a strong Israel as the main goal of the ZOA and all of its efforts. Um, so they were very close to the most pro-Israel administration in U.S. history. And so they're uh, being punished now. They're being targeted for, you know, canceling in the American Jewish world by these progressive organizations for the unpardonable crime of standing with the, the, the most pro-Israel uh, administration in U.S. history. Basically, we're seeing a mirror effect of the delegitimization and deplatforming of Trump supporters and obviously anyone who worked closely with Trump. People who worked closely with Trump are not able to get jobs right now. I think it was Forbes magazine that just reported on someone, uh, an ex-staff uh, member who was, who was fired after it was found out that she worked for Trump, whatever. In any case, you're seeing that mirror effect in the Jewish world where even Jewish organizations are going, oh, you had a close relationship with Trump? Okay, we're, we're deplatforming you from being recognized within our communal structure. It's very amazing and and uh, horrible to watch how also American Jews have taken such a leading role in demonizing Trump for the past four years. You know, people like Bill Kristol and Jennifer Rubin and others on the left, even uh, Barry Weiss in her book, uh, libel Trump as an anti-Semite without any, without any um, documentation whatsoever, and, and Brett Stevens has engaged in similar behavior. Um, and, and it's simply not true. And they've taken this leading role in pushing this idea that Trump supports Nazis when the exact opposite has always been the case in regards to Trump. So, you know, and, and putting, and, and the thing about doing that, of course, and Joe Biden just did it on Friday. I wrote about this in, in my, uh, in my latest Newsweek article, which should be coming out in a couple of days. Um, you know, he, he uh, compared Senators Cruz and Hawley to Joseph Goebbels, uh, you know, Hitler, Hitler's propagandist. And, and the thing with that, you know, I went through this long discussion about what, what the impact of that, that is and was when he made those remarks, because it really led to, you know, just sort of the open the floodgates of of efforts to censure and silence and criminalize and deplatform and defund uh, Hawley and Cruz and really uh, un you know undo them as human beings in the very Orwellian sense of the term um, and um, and uh, and and the thing is is that uh, you know we're we're looking at this sort of mirror image going on in the Jewish community. American Jews have taken a lead role in this. Oh, and what I wanted to say, I'd lost my train of thought for a second, is that if Trump is Hitler and Republican lawmakers who support him are Goebbels, then obviously his supporters are Nazis, right? right. So that, you know, these kinds of statements don't, it, it's sort of like the primary, the secondary and the tertiary boycott of Israel again, right? You turn Trump into the enemy of the people. Uh, uh, politicians who support him are Goebbels and their supporters are Nazis, right? All of them have to be demonized. Eugene Robinson, the columnist for the Washington Post uh, said uh, uh, in an interview with MSNBC that I've seen now five or six times uh, on, on the web, he called for deprogramming Trump supporters, re-educating them, you know, Maoist uh, cultural revolution style. 
the Veritas project uh, did a candid camera expose of a of an NPR or PBS. I can't yes. remember PBS executive saying that uh, conservatives' children should be taken away from them because conservative parents can't be trusted, you know, to raise children properly. Um, and you know, these kinds of statements are 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 very totalitarian, are very un-American, are very out of out of step with everything that we've ever seen in the United States, and. You know, I don't know. Uh, I'm very terrified about you know what happened in the United States uh, with the deplatforming, with the removal of Parler from from the web, with banking, with banks uh, denying service to Americans who support Trump and to Trump and to his children. Um, these kinds of things. I, I just want to throw it in here. Just breaking news. I saw that Kurt Schilling, right, the uh, the baseball star in America was refused life insurance policy by AIG because they didn't like his social media profile, which was very conservative and, and pro-Trump. So it's got it's already gone beyond just Trump and his family or people who work with him. They're going after regular Joe Schmo Americans as well because of their association and, and ideology. So it's very scary. So all of this is scary. And I'll tell you something else, you know, um, and, and we're going to have to wrap it up because I, I, I'm sorry, I, I have to do a couple of other things. But, um, you know, what, what's happening in the United States now is something that has been, you know, brewing for, for some time. You know, I mean, we've seen the, you and I have spoken about the shadow banning, about the censorship on social media giants against uh, right-wing Israelis, against conservatives in the United States, and so on and so forth. We've seen it for a really long time. This isn't- For years. We, I, personally, we've, we've, we've been hit for years already, right? Right. I, I mean, I for me, it started five years ago. I don't know when it started for you. Yep, 2015 is when I first started getting hit. Yeah, that was it was 2015 where everything began to go downhill. I think it was around the same time as the Iran nuclear deal as well. And that was also the time that these social media giants became sort of enmeshed in the Democratic Party to the point where you don't know who swallowed whom, but they're basically one big blob right now. And, um, you know, I, and so when Trump was deplatformed, I said, you know, removed permanently from Twitter, I tweeted that I wanted to leave Twitter, right? That I had joined Twitter because I wanted to follow the president. And if he's no longer there, then I don't really want to be there anymore. And I tried to, you know, I was about to do Parler, but then they removed Parler from the internet. And so the point is that, you know, and, and like me, right, Parler was the most downloaded application on the iTunes store and on the Google Play store. And, and that's because millions and millions of people worldwide, 7 million people last Friday uh, downloaded the app, 7 million. Um, and um, they did it because people are terrified and because they don't want to be censored and they don't want to be in a platform that's made it so clear that you know, that they're not going to be allowed to exercise their freedom of speech. And in fact, like the baseball player you mentioned, they're liable to be punished for saying what they think. And so now we're stuck, right? Because we can either just shut up and not say anything, or we can remain on these platforms that hate us and that want to censor us and want to squash us. And it's a, it's a very terrible, it's a very terrible choice to have to make because I, you know, you don't want to be completely silenced. You want to be able to continue to make your points and and to be heard. But on the other hand, you know, you know that you're you're in an area you, where you don't make the rules of this game. They're made by people who are opposed to you and who want to destroy you the way that they're destroying so many people today in the United States. So I think, you know, 
Uh, and and the terrible thing, you know, among the many many terrible things, most terrible thing is that this is destroying the United States. And I and I honestly, you know, unless somebody, we always say, unless somebody gets wise to the situation really quick. But all the people who are supposed to get wise to the situation, like President-elect Biden, are fueling it. I mean, it was he who called Cruz and Hawley uh, Goebbels, you know. And so, you know, he is very much in the thick of these things. Kamala Harris said already in August, I think, during the Democratic debate, August 19, she yelled at uh, Elizabeth Warren in a candidate's debate because Elizabeth Warren didn't support uh, uh, expelling Trump from Twitter. And she thought that she had to... It was absolutely wrong that Democrats must demand that Twitter uh, ban President Trump from the platform. So, I mean, this is the woman who's, you know, very likely to be the, you know, the 40s, whatever, sixth president, because uh, Biden can barely get through a press conference. I mean, he's totally inarticulate and he's very tired and very old. You know, he's not in good health. And I don't think you can watch him for more than 30 seconds without reaching that conclusion about him, like him or, or dislike him. He is not, you know, of sound mind and body. So here's this woman who's very likely, you know, to become the next president of the United States well before the 24, 24 elections. And she is an open supporter of deplatforming and silencing opposing voices. And that's really frightening. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I and I, so obviously America is really, really in trouble. But American Jews, rather than standing athwart, you know, and saying, stop. They're standing with anti-Semites. They're standing against their own communal interests, openly calling for the end of civil rights protections to American Jews. Um, and, and I guess the final thing we can say here is that Tucker Carlson reported yesterday or the day before uh, that uh, Biden's pick to head the civil rights division of the Justice Department, that is the department in the Justice Department that's responsible for protecting Jews uh, from anti-Semitism in the United States is herself a, 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 a vicious anti-Semite. I mean, she she absolutely hates Jews. This woman, her name is uh, Kristen Clark, uh, and as an undergraduate and the head of the Black Studies Association in Harvard in the nineteen nine in nineteen ninety four, uh, she. I mean, first of all, she's like this sort of black Nazi in the in in or, or eugenicist. Yeah, she's racist against whites. That's important for people to understand. She is an out and out racist against whites. Right, using she, science. Right. She uses she uses uh, fake science, just like the eugenicists did when they called for the abortion of black fetuses in 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 the early twentieth century. Um, she she calls she explains with this fake science that uh, melanin, the um, hormone that uh, determines skin pigmentation. Uh, and that determines whether somebody is, is black or white or Asian or what have you, um, that that is responsible genetically for blacks being more intelligent than whites and more spiritual than whites. And I don't know, other other wonderful and good things uh, than whites can possibly be and that this is genetics, this is science. And she brought in this uh, anti-Semitic, uh, really like the Farrakhan anti-Semite uh, professor from Wellesley Yep. Uh, named um, Tony Martin, I think. And he came in and he started spewing all of these anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theories. He said that Jews were the original racists, that it went back to the Babylonian Talmud, 
and that uh, Jews were the ones who developed uh, race theory about blacks being an inferior race. I mean, this is all utter and complete nonsense. You know, he ended his career, according to, to Carlson's report, giving uh, lectures about the Jewish conspiracy to destroy the world to, to societies uh, run by Holocaust deniers. And when, when uh, after he made this anti-Semitic speech at Harvard, you know, a lot of people objected and were very angry about it. And she stood by him and she said his, his, uh, his scholarship is uh, indisputable. It's, it's just like her scholarship that says that, you know, blacks are genetically superior to white people is indisputable. And now this racist, this anti-white racist and this fire-breathing Nazi-type anti-Semite is going to be responsible for enforcing civil rights legislation in the United States. So, and, and I'm sure, by the way, that the same way that progressive Jews supported Raphael Warnock's uh, Senate bid, despite the fact that it was exposed that he himself is a vicious and virulent anti-Semite, so too they're going to support her confirmation in the Senate, despite the fact that she hates Jews. And so again, you know, um, I think uh, if we began our discussion with the passing of a Jewish giant, we see now that the people who are going to be dominating the American Jewish uh, world, and by the way, they have been for some time, are, are anti-Jews and their moral pygmies. And their role in driving uh, this the, the, the largest Jewish community in the world outside of Israel to self-destruction is going to be something that's going to be remembered uh, in the annals of Jewish history as one of the greatest uh, shames uh, to have ever befallen our people, and it is a shame. And uh, you know, everything should be done, obviously, to save the good Jews of America. But uh, this kind of behavior, this kind of support for anti-Semites and refusal and demand that Jews be denied civil rights protection from anti-Semites, uh, this is this is the most self-destructive behavior that I can recall. Yeah, we're, we're witnessing the self-destruction of American Jewry. Hopefully America should survive and has many Jews should survive, but it's just so horrific to be witnessing. Carolyn, even with all the deplatforming going on, may you never shut up. Please keep up your voice every single platform you can, and I'll be there to help you. And you know what? Let me just say something to our viewers, because I know that you know I'm feeling so low, and it's true I am, because look, we love America. And we and President Trump has been wonderful to us. And when we see what's coming uh, into power next week, and what we see with the kind of demonization of him and of his supporters, and by the way, of us as well for supporting right. him, it's going on in Israel too. Um, you know, it breaks the heart. But just remember, you know, the wheel turns. You know, Ariel Sharon one time said the most important thing is that you just keep on the you keep on the wheel. You keep hanging on to the wheel because it goes up and it goes down. A year ago, almost exactly to the day. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu was standing in the White House next to President Trump and talking about applying Israeli law to the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria and to the Jordan Valley. And today we're in a completely different place, but we never know how our luck will turn. And the most important thing that we can do to ensure that it will turn back to good luck from bad is to just continue defending ourselves and our rights and our people. Uh, and so let's just, you know, we'll keep doing it, me and Avi, and uh, you'd keep doing it, all of you, and God willing, uh, we'll be on the top of the, of the wheel come before too long. And we'll end with a big amen, only amen. 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 Carolyn, thank yeah. you very much. Take care. All right. All take right. care.
Shalom, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. Signing off from the eternal and ancestral homeland of the Jews. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pulse of Israel here in our eternal and ancestral homeland, the land of Israel. Today, I have a very, very special guest, Bat Galim Sha'er. Bat Galim um, is the mother of one of the three boys who unfortunately was kidnapped and murdered by Hamas back in the summer of 2014. Uh, an incident that really brought the whole Jewish people together in uh, an amazing way, unfortunately, because it was because of a tragedy. Today, she's working on a really wonderful, beautiful project to try to, to maintain and create even more unity within the Jewish people. So uh, let's hear what she has to say. Shalom, shalom, bat galim. Shalom. So, but everybody, but Galim and I were going to be talking and I'm going to be asking questions to Bat Galim in Hebrew. She will be answering in Hebrew and then I will be translating in English after each sentence so you can all understand what she is saying. Reshit Kol, ma shlomech Bat Galim? Baruch Hashem, toda rabah, and I'm very happy to be with you today. I just asked Bat Galim how she's doing and she goes, thank, thank God I'm doing very well and very happy to be, to be together here on this program. אז בואי תתחילי, את יכולה לספר לנו קצת על גלעד, על בנך, כדי שיותר אנשים יכולים להכיר אותו. אנחנו שבוע שעבר, ממש לפני שבוע, ציינו את יום ההולדת של גלעד, גלעד היה צריך להיות השנה בין 23. Now, so, so Bat Galim is telling us, I was just asking her to tell us a little bit about her son, uh, Gilad, Hashem Yikom Damo, and she was saying just last week was supposed to be his birthday, his 23rd birthday. Ken. He was a very happy boy who loved birthdays. ולכן בתקופה הזאת אנחנו תמיד חושבים מה אפשר לעשות, איזה פרויקטים אפשר לעשות, שגם מחוברים לשמחה שלו, גם מחוברים לימי הולדת, גם מחוברים לאחדות, בסופו של דבר הדברים מתחברים. So Bat Galim is saying, so they're always thinking of what projects they could do in Gilad's memory that connects to his happiness, connects to happy things, connects to birthdays in ways that help connect people. נכון, אז אני יכולה לשתף שגלעד היה ככה בן 16 וחצי כשהוא נרצח, וילד שמאוד אהב לטייל, מאוד אהב לקרוא, ילד עם המון מגוון של תחביבים, מאוד חכם, מאוד אינטליגנטי, וגם ילד מאוד רגיש לצרכים של החברים שלו, חבר מאוד נאמן, חבר מאוד טוב, מאוד אהוב על החברים שלו. So Bat Galim is saying, tell, telling us more about uh, Gilad. He loved, uh, he was a very sensitive boy. He was a wonderful friend. He had a lot of, he had a lot of hobbies. Um, uh, I even forgot some of them. <laughs> he loved to read, he loved to hike here, here in the land of Israel. Okay. He was also an advisor in the youth, in the Bnei Akiva youth movement here in Israel. Right, and uh, Bat Galim obviously is expressing how they miss him very much. He was 16 and a half when he was murdered that summer of 2014, and uh, it's not easy. 
not easy at all to, to move forward. את יודעת, זה, זה באמת מביא אותי לשאלה הבאה. אני זוכר את הקיץ הזה, ואני זוכר את החוזק ש... שאת ו... ובעלך ביחד עם ההורים של שני הבנים האחרים הראו לכל עם ישראל. איך עשיתם את זה? טוב, זו שאלה, שאלה טובה. אני חושבת שאנחנו קיבלנו הרבה מאוד כוח מה, מהעם, מהחברה הישראלית פה בארץ, וגם מיהודי התפוצות. היה פה חיבוק ודאגה ואכפתיות מאוד מאוד גדולה, שממש נתנה לנו הרבה מאוד כוח. אני חושבת שלא היינו לבד במסע הזה, הייתה מין תחושה של ביחד, עוברים את המסע הזה ביחד, וכשאתה עובר מסע כזה ביחד, So, but I asked Bat Galim how, well, I told her that I remembered this, that summer of 2014, and I remembered how strong she and her husband were together with the parents of the two other boys who, uh, that all three of them were, were kidnapped and murdered together by the Hamas. And yet the, these three parents, including Bat Galim and her husband, they showed so much strength. I said, where'd that come from? How'd you do it? So she said it's because of the togetherness that, that we felt. It's because of the big, uh, the big hug we got from, uh, from the Jewish people, the, 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 the outpouring of, of caring and of togetherness that that really helped give them strength to that they then gave over that strength back. היית כמו מראה, כאילו את אומרת את קיבלתם את הביחד והחוזק והפנמתם את זה החוצה גם כן. כנראה שככה, בהחלט, בהחלט. זה היה מאוד מאוד תחושות חזקות של אופטימיות ושל ערבות הדדית, ושוב חשוב לי להגיד שאת התחושות שקיבלנו גם מאנשים שחיים פה בארץ, אבל גם מאוד חזק מיהודי התפוצות. כשאתה מרגיש עוד קהילה ועוד קהילה, ואנשים שולחים מיילים ושולחים מכתבים, ואנשים מגיעים אלינו הביתה. Right. So I, I, I mentioned about Galim, what she's expressing is basically how, uh, how like, it was a mirror. Like, on the one hand, they were, they were receiving all of this care and feeling of togetherness and strength from the whole Jewish people, and he, she and her husband and, and the, the parents of the other two boys, that's what they gave back to all of us. They gave, gave, gave us all the feeling of optimism and and strength as well and I asked her where where did that where did that come from and she expressed it came from the 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 caring it came from the the, the caring and the outpouring of of support and love not just from Jews in the land of Israel but from Jews and people from all over the world they were receiving letters of support from people all over the world and uh, that really gave them uh gave them a lot of strength as you Let, let's talk about today, Bat Galim. Maybe another question about this relationship between the Jews and the Jews, how we came to this relationship. Before I talk about the project itself, the relationship that we got from the Jews in all the world, פתאום כשהבנו כמה הקשר הזה הוא חשוב וכמה האהבה, נכון שהם לא גרים כאן, אבל הם בסוף מחוברים אלינו ובסוף הם אוהבים אותנו ויש דאגה וערבות הדדית, אז אמרנו שחייבים להמשיך את הדבר הזה מתוך טוב. אי אפשר 
לחתוך את, ה, את הקשר הזה, להפך צריך לעשות הכל כדי לחזק אותו ובמהלך השנים גם שמרנו על קשר מאוד טוב עם קהילות ועם בודדים, אנשים שבאו ו, ותמכו והיו איתנו והראש כל הזמן חושב איך אפשר So I was just about to ask Bat Galim about, okay, let's talk about this new unity project. He goes, wait, wait a second. Hold on. First, I want to tell you about how the development of the importance that, 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 that we understood and learned about the connection of the Jewish world and the Jewish world outside of Israel. And she was explaining that before the tragedy of what happened uh, to her son, she was not that well aware or connected to the Jewish communities abroad. But because of the, of, of the tragedy of, of the loss of their son in, in this horrific terror, terror attack um, and kidnapping, that all of a sudden she was introduced to the Jewish world outside of Israel, to all these communities of, of Jews outside of Israel who had such a connection to Israel, what a caring for her and her family and, 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 what they, and what they went through. And that really opened up her eyes and her husband's eyes to this vast Jewish world out there. And ever since they've always been thinking, what can we do to build upon that connection and help strengthen that connection between the Jewish community in Israel and the Jewish community abroad. Tilgamti beseder, hayach hamashu chaser? Nifla. Okay, I just asked her if, I'm, if, if I translated everything, if I missed anything. She goes, it was great. Wonderful. Okay, so let's go into this project. Uh, let me see what it is. The website is mazeltov.world. What is this mazeltov project? Ma project is it? אז אנחנו מבקשים לחבר בין יהודים בארץ ובתפוצות בפלטפורמה דיגיטלית שמחברת בין יהודים שנולדו באותו תאריך עברי. Okay, so uh, but Galim said this new project which everyone go visit the website mazeltov.world and then slash en for the English. This is a special project to help connect the Jews of the diaspora with the Jews in Israel, where everyone's connected by birthdays. Basically, you go to the website and enter your birthday, and then you're, and then you're connected to a Jew across the world. Bechavod, tamshichi. Okay, so it's a it's a wonderful yet simple project where Batgalim and her family and everyone working on this project are allowing people in, in abroad to be connected with a person in Israel and vice versa. All you have to do is you go to the website, you sign up with your name and your email address, and you input your English birthday. And when you put in your English birthday, you receive two things. You receive your Hebrew birthday on the Hebrew calendar, and you receive the name and contact information of somebody in Israel with that same birthday. So now you're connected personally, a person uh, abroad with a person here in Israel. Yofi, Vazma. Vazma, אפשר להתחיל כאן קשר שבעצם השמיים הם הגבול. אני חושבת שיש משהו ביום ההולדת, בתאריך לידה שנולדנו, לא נולדנו סתם מתי שנולדנו, יש משמעות ליום שבו נולדנו. וכשאתה מכיר מישהו שנולד בתאריך שלך, משהו בלב נפתח. עכשיו okay, אפשר... Yeah, yeah. 
So I asked, I asked that Galim, okay, so, okay, so you're connected with someone, uh, someone abroad, someone in Israel, you're connected by your birthday. Now what? So she, she's explaining, well, there's something very personal and there's something very special about a connection via birthdays. Something opens up and, and, and in Hebrew, the, the, the phrase that she said, the heavens are the, are, are the, up to the heavens. What the possibilities are endless of what can happen once you connect with someone on a personal level who has the same exact birthday as you. Uh, and that personal connection that can develop, and who knows what can develop from that. בכבוד. <אז> כל כמה זמן הם רוצים לדבר, זה ממש אינדיבידואלי, כל אחד לפי הזמן והיכולת והרצון, אבל אנחנו כבר רואים, אני חשוב לי להגיד שאנחנו בסך הכל שבוע מאז תחילת המיזם, יש לנו כבר ששת אלפים נרשמים וכבר קרוב לאלף חיבורים. זה יפה. הולך בצורה מדהימה. Yeah, okay, so, so Bat Galim is explaining that this is, a, again, uh, the possibilities are endless. The platform connects to people and you could, you, you could start communicating and obviously depending upon what your interests are or finding out what your interests are and being, then being able to, to make a connection and building off of that connection and, and you don't know what's going to develop from that. And already they have, this just launched last week. It's only a week old. Um, They launched this project, this website last week, again, mazeltov.world. And in this week, they already have 6,000 people who've signed up and 1,000 pairs by birthdays. And that means 1,000 pairs, meaning 2,000 people already in contact with one another, strengthening this connection between the Jewish people in the diaspora and the Jewish people here in Israel. Yofi, tamshichi. <laughs> אז לי יש חלום שיהיו לא אלפים, אלא עשרות אלפים ומאות אלפים בחיבור הזה, כי אני חושבת שאם לכל אחד פה בארץ יהיה מישהו אחד שהוא בקשר איתו בחוץ לארץ, ואותו דבר הפוך, אם למישהו, לכל אחד, כן, יהיו עשרות אלפים או מאות אלפים יהודים שגרים בחוץ לארץ, אבל יש להם קשר עם מישהו אחד פה בארץ, כל השיח שלנו וכל ההיכרות וכל החיבור יהיה... אחר לגמרי, ובכוונה המיזם הזה הוא כל כך קל ופשוט, כי אנחנו רוצים כאן באמת את המסה של האנשים שהצטרפו לפרויקט הזה, הוא כיף, הוא שמח, הוא נחמד, הוא מאוד אינדיבידואלי, כל אחד לפי הזמן שלו, זה לא דורש ממש שתי דקות כדי להירשם, ואפשר לעשות כאן משהו ממש נחמד וטוב. So, but Galim is saying, my dream is not for there to just to be 6,000 people here and 2,000 and, and, and and matches. My dream is for there to be tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of matches between uh, the Jewish people here in Israel and Jewish people abroad, because this is something so simple that can make such a big difference and such a big influence in, in connecting us and, and creating a, a, a greater connection Of, of unity within the Jewish people. And when we have that, there are so many other things that could be developed for the benefit of, uh, of, of, of the whole Jewish people and, uh, and, for, and for the world. <laughs> אז קודם כל זה לא מובן מאליו, בעזרת השם אנחנו נגיע לזה. 
אנחנו בעזרת השם, אחר כך אנחנו גם קצת נעזור במהלך השנה, לא נחכה רק ליום ההולדת, אלא גם ננסה במהלך השנה לחזק את הקשר. אנחנו רוצים לא רק כמות, אנחנו רוצים כמובן גם איכות, אנחנו רוצים קשר משמעותי, אנחנו רוצים קשר עמוק, לוודא באמת שזה עובד, לוודא באמת שאנשים מרוצים, שאנשים פיתחו איזשהו קשר הדדי. אז יש לנו הרבה עבודה, ומה שנדרש מכם זה רק להירשם ולהצטרף, ובעזרת השם, שנצליח ביחד לייצר את החיבור המקסים הזה. אמן, so I asked Bat Galim, okay, great, we got hundreds of thousands of people to sign up, what's the next step, what are the next steps to moving forward? She goes, well, first of all, not so simple, we have to, we have to reach those numbers, and we will reach those numbers, we're going to work hard to reach those numbers, but also, while we're reaching those numbers, we want to ensure that it's not just about the numbers, it's not just about the quality, the quantity, it's about the quality of the relationships, and always looking for feedback, and seeing that the, that the relationships that are developing, that these personal connections that are developing are something of, of, of quality, not just, the, not just the quantity. And please God, uh, they're gonna be working towards that and they, they should be successful in making that happen to then again, just by each one person signing up and then finding a partner with their birthday, developing this sense of unity with, within the Jewish people around the world. Um, uh, and uh, all anybody has to do, you're watching right now, go to the website. mazeltov.world and sign up very simply just with your name, email address, and birthday, and you could be part of this uh, program, part of this project, to then be hooked up with somebody else and be able to start your, start your, your own relationship to be building upon this unity within the Jewish people. So uh, thank you so much, uh, Bat Kalim. It's really, really beautiful. אבי, עוד משפט אחד, האתר בחמש שפות האתר נבנה, כי הקהל יעד שלנו זה לא רק ארצות הברית וישראל, אנחנו ממש מחוברים לכל יהודי העולם, ולכן אם רואים אותנו צופים נוספים שיכולים להעביר את המסר הזה בעוד מקומות, בעוד ארצות, לעוד שפות, זה בהחלט רלוונטי. החיבור הוא ממש כלל יהודי עולמי, ולכן הוא גם בנוי האתר בחמש שפות, באנגלית, עברית, רוסית, צרפתית וספרדית. Wonderful. So Bat Kalim is saying, Avi, it's very important. We tell people the website is not just in English. Right now it is five languages. We want to reach out to, to Jewish people all over the world, not just English speakers. So right now, obviously, there's English and Hebrew, also Russian, also French and Spanish. <laughs> so right now that's that that was the minimum in order to get started the people in the world see that it's really reaching out to to Jews all over the world in many communities um so that that's how they're getting started and they'll see in the future if they're able to add more uh, languages as well but in the meantime but Kalim is definitely 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 reaching out to each and every person who is just take a minute go to the website Mazeltov world and enter your name, email address, and birth date to then take part in this uh, initiative to try on, on a person-by-person -person basis to develop even stronger sense of unity within uh, the Jewish people and connect Israel to the Jews living in, uh, in diaspora. Well, th thank you, Bat Kalim. All of Am Yisrael continues to give you and your family a, uh, a big hug. 
and uh, wishing you all the strength to continue keeping uh, keep, continue keeping Gilad's memory alive via this project and other projects that you and your family are involved in. And you should know uh, much and only years and years of smachot from your Amen. family and from all Klal Israel. So thank you. Amen. Shalom, shalom. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for watching another episode of the Pulse of Israel today. A very special episode with Bat Galim Sha'er, the mother of Gilad, one of the boys who was uh, kidnapped and murdered by Hamas the summer of 2014. And you see the strength and resilience that uh, Bat Galim and obviously her family and the other families represent, not just for Jews, but for, for, for everyone all around the world. Um, that's definitely a message that the Jewish people we get from our from from our ancestry, from the Torah, from Judaism. Uh, life has ups and downs, and it's us to keep on going higher and higher, regardless of how low we fall or what tragedy or what hardships we come upon. And it's moving forward, trying to make the world a better place. So, but Galim and her family and this project, the Mazel Tov, that world project, is definitely a special project. Everyone should get involved and just quickly go to the website, sign up. And uh, let's bring, let's make the world a better place and let's bring some unity. So thank you everyone for joining. Shalom, signing off from the eternal and ancestral homeland of the Jewish people. This is Avi Abla for another episode of the Pulse of Israel. Pulse of Israel, frontline videos from the Holy Land. Support our work by donating today.